want to read really three passages this evening, but I'm going to leave one of them for right in the middle. So first, I'm going to have us read uh, two. First, Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And then we'll turn to Romans chapter 13. So Titus chapter 3, this is the word of God. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another." I can't stop there, of course. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And then over to Romans chapter 13. I'm going to have us read this whole chapter this evening. I'm noticing in my copy of scripture, the previous chapter halfway through has one of those uninspired headings, behave like a Christian, which just to me seems so generic in this section of Romans that uh, I I would hate to be the person who has that job. How do you make it so specific? Really, what we're about to read in Romans 13 would continue that generic train of thought, wouldn't it? How to behave like a Christian. So let's read Romans chapter 13. Let every soul be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be afraid of the authority? Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no one anything except to love one another, 
For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust. Not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. The word of our God. Let's pray. Our our Father, we thank you for your word. And we do thank you that you speak to many things in your word. We thank you that you speak to many things clearly. Lord, we also confess there are many things we wish uh, we could know more of from your word, but we ask that we would uh, hear what you focus on and submit to it this evening. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I've uh, been working on the fifth commandment. Actually, I was I was in the hospital working on the, some of my fifth commandment reading when Ezra was born. So uh, uh, over two months, uh, I, I photocopied some really in-depth works on uh, uh, various topics. Um, read some uh, one or two of you might recognize this name. I read some Rush Dooney in the hospital because I, I wanted some light reading on government um, and. Uh, Uh, had a grand old time. It's taken me a lot longer to get around to the fifth commandment than I'd expected, and I think that's a good thing. But something struck me about a month ago as I was trying to put some of my thoughts on paper for tonight's sermon. Um, I I was doing my semi-regular reading over my ordination vows, and, and something struck me. Uh, I had my ordination vows on one part of my desk, and I had my notes from uh, all sorts of books on government and civil obedience or disobedience over here. And I'm, I'm reading that stuff, and I, look, I was looking at my ordination vows and praying about them, and it struck me that I, I did not take a vow to be a, a minister of natural law and philosophy, I, I, I took an ordination vow to be a minister of, of word and sacraments. And then I went and I, I looked at my notes for this sermon uh, and uh, discovered that most of the things in there, I had all these questions. I was trying to engage with natural law and image of God and things like that. Good, good things to engage with. But I had no scripture texts on any of my notes. None. And then I I thought, well, is that because there's no scripture text being put with some of these thoughts? 
And I, I discovered, for the most part, I, I think that was accurate. So I'm not saying none of those things can be tied to Scripture, but uh, there wasn't a lot there. And so then I thought, well, if I'm preaching on the fifth commandment and not on philosophy or natural law or politics and giving a lecture, well, then I, I need to get back to the Bible a little bit more. And so that's the goal tonight is not going to answer a lot of very legitimate questions. If you're like me, we read Romans 13 and all that statement about uh, the government is for good and does this and is a terror to evil. And it feels like, what government are we talking about, Paul? Doesn't, doesn't sound like ours. And, and so we want to get into those very, I think, legitimate questions of at what point do you say enough is enough? Germans were met with that question, and, and some of them were asking that question and ended up in jail at a certain point in history because they were saying, we got to stop this, right? So just shut up and submit obviously isn't what Scripture is saying across the board. So we have to ask questions about natural law or about politics to discern when might we not submit when might be the right moment to throw the tea in the bay? And, and although then we can ask, was that the right approach uh, to doing even that, right? Uh, so, so there's all these questions, and we're not going to address most of those tonight. What I want to do is set all of that. Whatever we do, however we answer those questions about other things, however we think about engagement with the government and when to rebel, if ever... It all has to be set within a framework of whatever it is the Bible does say. And that's what I want us to focus on tonight. What does the Bible actually say? What is its emphasis? What is its main and clear points? And then we can work on good and necessary implications about other things. But you have to start with what is the clear thing. And I think Romans 13 Titus chapter 3, 1 through 3, and, and we're going to uh, include in here uh, a, a couple verses from Peter along the way. Um, these are the clearest statements in Scripture for us about government, and I, I find it uh, very convicting, the types of things that we're told and what is absent in terms of giving us excuses and attitudes that we can have. Uh, so I want to start with Romans 13, because uh, I think it's a great place to consider what the Reformation confessions all agreed on, and that is that the fifth commandment not only speaks directly to what we looked at last week, to parents and children, but the fifth commandment also implicitly includes government and citizen. Uh, it's not enough to say the confessions claim that. Does God's word show us that the fifth commandment is also about this? And there are a number of arguments you could make uh, based on um, scripture, but I think Romans 13's a strong argument that what Paul is talking about, he views as talking about the fifth commandment. And if you look at verse 9 again, Romans 13 verse 9, we read, 
For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there are any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you think about what Paul is saying there and what he neglects to include there, it's a very interesting thought, isn't it? Because what Paul contains here is the seventh commandment about adultery, the sixth about murder, the eighth about stealing, the ninth about false witness. Some old manuscripts don't contain that one, but the vast majority do contain that one with this verse. And then the tenth commandment, coveting. So you have uh, seven, six, eight, I believe nine, and ten. What's missing, though, when you think about this, that is the second table of the law, as it's been uh, called, except the fifth commandment. Why does Paul leave that one out? I think it's because he views it as the main focus of what he's just been talking about. He's been talking about submitting to government, showing honor to whom honor is due, and then he refers to the other commandments that go with it. So I think that's a very strong argument as we think about what Paul's doing to say Paul viewed government as under that heading of parent-child. Now, there, there are distinctions, of course. There are uh, qualifiers we have to put between, uh, you know, in the same way that the babysitter has a derivative type of authority over the child, but they aren't mom and dad, right? So with the government, we have to say the same thing. It's not exactly the same as parents, but it's under the same basic idea. And in one sense, then, that means we can look at last week's sermon and really ask the same two questions we asked last week. Remember the two questions we asked last week. One of them was, if I can find them in my notes here, uh, last week we asked, when is it okay to not obey? And last week we asked also, um, why do we show honor? And last week we, we saw that from the biblical text, the, the honor of parents is not due to them because... They have earned it, but because God has declared it. And then the biblical text, we can say, when is an appropriate time to disobey? And the only text we find that really helps us with that is the apostles. When they say we must serve God rather than man. And they set the standard. If doing the thing that is obedience to the government means disobeying God's command then we have to serve God rather than man. There's the the standard. And you can actually use that one statement and go through scripture and see other instances where people had to make that same exact decision, right? Uh, Daniel has to make the decision. Do I stop praying or do I honor God and obey him by calling out to him? I'm going to call out to him. He ends up in the lion's den. Uh, His three friends have to make the decision. Do I worship an idol? Or do I worship the one living and true God? They end up in the furnace, right? But they're using that same standard that the apostles use 
We must choose to obey God. And if we can only choose one, ideally we obey God and we're obeying the government and we're honoring God by honoring and obeying the government. But if we have to choose one or the other, we choose, we choose to obey God. Uh, and so that standard carries over, of course, to uh, us today as well. Well, as we think about this then, we, we look at what honor looks like when it comes to honoring the government. And the first thing we see in Romans 13, the very basic concept that we can assess from it, and as well from Titus, and as well from 1 Peter 2, is that honoring and obeying the government means subjecting ourselves to the governing authorities. Uh, there's a humility idea behind the idea of subjecting oneself. That, that's not identical as saying obey, right? You, you can obey in a scornful manner. You can disobey and still be a good subject in certain instances. Uh, but subject has the idea of a humility attached to it. And I think that's tied into the idea of honor. That we, we acknowledge that there is an authority structure over us. Romans 13, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. And then down in verse 7, uh, render therefore to all their due honor to whom honor. I, I think we, I, and probably we, although I can't read your hearts, but I, I think we probably need to really assess, do we subject and honor, the, subject ourselves to and honor the government? Is that how we have a, a default setting? One author commented that when you read men like Calvin and other men like Calvin, even who were in persecution mode and, and fleeing, their overall thought about governments is that they are positive and good. So that, you know, Calvin's Institutes is written to a wicked king who hated Calvin. Uh, but the idea was we want to have a positive mindset and approach it in a way that is respectful and I don't think that's how most of us as Christians view government today. We view government with distrust, with uh, suspicion, and uh, with a lot of scorn because they've earned it, right? They, they make it so easy. Well, I, I, you know, killing all the Reformed Protestants, all the Protestants in your country might, might be a good way to lose the honor of the other Protestants in Europe. And yet those are some of the people that Calvin and others were writing letters to that began with very high honorifics. It, it's, it's astonishing. But our mindset is in a, an Americanized default, I think, right? Remember, as we were studying Titus on Sunday mornings, I kept using the phrase um, that we are not immune to cultural captivity. Our culture disdains authority. And we in the church, I think, 
disdain authority. We have a suspicion for anyone who holds church office. We have a suspicion of anyone who holds government office. And uh, we have a suspicion that all parents are stupid. And, and the church is no different than the world on that. We play right along. But this simple first point is to ask ourselves, do we subject ourselves and honor our government? Uh, do, or do we mock, deride, and ridicule? Well, the, the second thing then, building off of that, if honor is to be given to the government, the texts also show us that honor is not dependent upon the government earning it or even demeriting it. Uh, so this is the same point, remember, as last week. Why do parents deserve the honor of their children? Because? Because they've earned it? No, because God says so. And look at Romans 13. No government exists, no authority, except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God an astonishing thought because if you remember when Paul is writing it's a very crooked and corrupt Roman Empire it's not some magic day of the Roman Empire when all the officials refused bribes and did what was righteous and good it was a very corrupt Roman Empire in fact we can also read a similar thought in 1 Peter 2, verses 13 and 14, Peter writes, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man, or that could be every institution of man. That makes a little interpretive difference, depending on which one you pick. Therefore submit yourselves to every institution or ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether the king as supreme or to governors as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who, are, who do good. Um, and what commentators note, Paul, we don't know precisely necessarily which emperor was reigning in crooked Rome when he wrote Romans 13. There's some debate. But there is no debate what emperor was reigning as king supreme when Peter wrote that verse, it was Nero. So it, it's clear that neither Peter nor Paul is saying these extraordinarily positive things about government, right? They are there to execute justice and uh, to praise that which is good. And, and that wasn't being done. And yet they still say, but that's why God instituted it. And therefore, because God has instituted government, and this government is in place, even if they are failing, you owe them honor. Maybe one way to help us think about this is the fact that Paul and Peter both seem to be writing to the subjects and not to the government. What? What do you think Romans 13 might look a little different or 1 Peter 2 if, let's say, Caesar's chief governor of, of the Roman district, you know, whoever's right under him, or, or several senators 
happen to be in the church that we're being written to. Might it have been a little different? The, tonight's sermon would have been a little different if one of you was in public office. At least part of it would have been a little different. But, but I'm not aware of any of you planning to run for office for at least another 12 months. Uh, so um, so I, I didn't include a separate section on the superior to the inferior. But there's a lot we can conclude from both of these passages about what the superior owes, right? If you are in government and you are, are crooked, if you are not a terror to those who are evil, then you are sinning against God. If you are in public office and you are not praising that which is good, then you are sinning against God. That would be the necessary implication from both Peter and Paul. But what neither of them does is say, when they sin, eh, forget about the subject thing. Forget about the honor thing. That's how we like to act. They don't deserve it. I'm not going to give it. A couple of um, teenagers at a retreat in the 90s, uh, and one of them was bad-mouthing his parents. The other two uh, confronted him on that. You're breaking the, the fifth commandment or whatever. And the, the response one of these boys gave was, my father provokes me to wrath, and I told him so. Therefore, I don't have to honor him, right? He didn't have to say that. That's what he was saying. Therefore, I can badmouth him all I want. He provokes me to wrath. All bets are off. And the other two made it pretty clear to him, whether he listened or not, that um, Ephesians 6 verse 4 isn't for you. Someday it might be if you have children. Until then, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 is for you. I think we need to have that same attitude for ourselves when we think about the government. Because we tend to be like that teenage boy that was with his father about the government. Well, I don't have to honor and subject myself because the government is crooked. The government is provoking me to mockery, disdain, scorn, and disobedience. That they're making me do it is sort of how we subconsciously think. And yet Paul and Peter here are talking about one of the most wicked governments our world has seen in history. Crooked and corrupt. Under, for Peter, certainly Nero. And they're saying... This is the ideal behind government. And God is the one who's sovereign that permitted this government to be in place over us. And therefore, we respond and subject ourselves and honor. Now, that, that all, of course, still has to have that qualifier we saw with parents as well, doesn't it? When do we not obey when we have to sin to obey. But remember, as we saw last week, even when we disobey our parents, we are to do so in a way that continues to honor them. 
expressing our loyalty to God and our desire for them to be right with God as well. And, and I think then a third thing comes as we look at these texts from the New Testament. Honor is to be given to government. Honor is not dependent upon the government earning it. And third, honor is our witness. Here, First Peter 2.15. Peter writes, For this is the will of God. Some of us were just talking about that phrase yesterday morning. I love it when Paul says, or Peter says, This is the will of God. Because it's so decisive. This is the will of God. That by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Honoring the government, according to Peter here, in part, is our witness. And that, I don't think, is our go-to. We, we, want, we want to say fighting the government with righteousness is the way we can be the best witness. That almost a militaristic uh, righteousness. And yet, Peter here says that it is our witness to do good and thereby silence the wicked. What does this kind of do-good witness look like? I think this is where Titus 3 comes in. Titus 3, which we read a few minutes ago. Obedience, whenever obedience doesn't require sin. Good works above and beyond the law's requirements. And that's not only Titus 3 verse 1, but that's also Romans 13, 3 through 5. Obedience above and beyond what the government requires. So whatever the government is sinfully doing, you're not just driving the speed limit and not robbing banks. You're going above and beyond that. You're doing good things. In fact, you are showing up the government, perhaps, by doing good things that it's not doing in the nation. And then Titus 3, verse 2, speaking no evil. Speaking no evil would include snide, sarcastic, scornful jokes, and outright disdain of the official. Uh, I think that's something that, as Christians, we need to take very much to heart. Because... I'm not sure I know much of a difference between uh, Christians and non-Christians when it comes to the public mockery of the government, the use of words and speaking evil and sneering and various things like that. You know, uh, uh, in fact, I I think uh, some of the, the YouTube channels that are comedians that make fun of the government are often... uh, partially because they're often more conservative side of things, tend to have a lot of Christians that are the ones that promote them. Um, and, and I think we have to think carefully about that. Carefully about how we use our, our words. This doesn't mean we can't discuss what is wrong with our government. In fact, a beautiful thing is, we live in a day and age when you're allowed to do that. It's built into our Constitution. So it's not dishonoring to use your freedom of speech in an honoring way to talk about what's wrong, 
right? There's a big difference between that, though, and uh, a sneering and uh, sarcastic or, or just outright a scornful, evil, gossiping approach towards our government. Also in Titus 3.2, these good works are defined as being a peacemaker. That is not quarreling. Do not quarrel. Being a peacemaker. Is that what non-Christians see when they think of Christians in relation to politics? That we are peacemakers, not quarreling. I think here of Jeremiah 29 verse 7. When God says to the believers in the Old Testament who are living in Babylon, a a filthy cesspool if ever there was one of government. And he says, seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. Is that a good way of describing how a non-Christian who knows you well sees you when they, when they think of you and politics? That you are someone who seeks the peace of the community. Now, of course, that's not seeking the peace in the sense of go along with the community in their sin. Live and let live. That's never what God means. But God is telling us we ought to be actively praying and seeking true peace within the community. And then Titus 3.2 also calls on us to be gentle and humble. Is our speech gentle and is it humble? Is our attempt to debate or convince others gentle and humble? I fear too often it's not. In fact, this is one of the things that as I, I read a lot of the more outspoken conservative Christians, uh, uh, especially pastors who get into the political debates, uh, I find them to be some of the most snarky and sarcastic and rude and arrogant and I'm right and obviously everyone else is wrong type of people. We, we said a very bad name for the gospel when we have that kind of attitude. And Titus 3.2 defines the kind of good we're to be seeking in our community as gentle and humble. I'm going to stop there in terms of assessing these texts. Again, if one of you was a, a governor, you know, if I, if, I knew, if I knew that President Biden was on the other side of that camera... Uh, watching our our live stream tonight uh, i would probably include a little bit extra looking at romans 13 and what the 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 text says to the superior uh, but we here are the inferiors and whatever good discussions then we may need to get into at some point about the the law the spheres in which the authority rules, and when they overreach themselves, which might happen from a government, that they might overreach themselves. When, whatever these other discussions might be, again, we have to look at this framework of the New Testament, which doesn't give us excuses to let go of the fifth commandment because of the sin of the authority. So we, we have to have honor as our focus 
and subjection, even as we discuss when is it, uh, it too much? When is it time to take some other kind of action? Uh, now, we, we live in a wonderful, a wonderful <laughs> moment in the big picture history of the world because we live in a, a country where there are legal avenues for seeking redress. They don't always work. I, I know that. But because those exist, it does open the, the, the door, even when they're not working right, for discussions of putting aside this authority, replacing that authority, or whatever. I'm not recommending any of the above. I'm just saying we, we have that ability to have those discussions. And because it's all there in our country's legal documentation, we can keep the fifth commandment with honor and respect for the government and also have those discussions. That's a wonderful privilege. But we need to make sure that we first and foremost keep the honor that God has before us in Scripture. As we compare... uh, the way that people live, the, the examples of Scripture with the things that I've sought to show us from Romans 13 and Titus and Peter tonight, I think three kind of uh, living it out examples stand out in my mind. Uh, one, of course, is Jesus. We look at how Jesus engages. What kind of culture is he engaging with? With a wicked government. A government so wicked that they are going to kill the Lord of glory because they're too lazy and too cowardly to stand up against some obnoxious Jews, right? It's not a good government that Jesus lives under. And yet we find him honoring and in all ways that don't require sin, subjecting himself to the government. Uh, the second category is, of course, the apostles. And Acts 5.29 there, they set that standard. We must serve God rather than man. But then what do we see in the rest of the book of Acts? Do we see them saying, well, they told us to sin, we didn't sin, and now they've lost all honor and subjection because they asked us to sin. No, actually, we see them going right back to honoring and subjecting themselves in every way that doesn't require sin for the rest of the book of Acts. That's a very powerful thought. But then I I think the third example set that we have in Scripture that is very powerful is reading the book of Daniel. I'd encourage you to take the book of Daniel this week and read it if you have time or sometime whenever you have time um, and think about Romans 13. Because with Daniel and his three friends, we find them refusing when the thing was a sin, but we find them honoring always. Think about that. There are a lot of wicked things. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't a nice guy. Our children's stories make him not as bad sounding for good reason, but he did perverse things. And the men that replaced him did perverse things. It was a wicked, wicked government. Daniel happened to be a righteous light in the midst of it. Praise God for that. We, we want 
politicians like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it would be a good thing for more Christians to seek to be in government in that way. But what you notice is that they, they do not stop dishonoring these wicked people because those people committed sins. They honor them, and they even honor them right into the furnace. They even show, Daniel shows honor to the man from the midst of the lion's den. Read Daniel. It's an astonishing thing of how to live in a pagan culture as a believer and still keep the fifth commandment. Well, um, again, this is meant as a framework not to stop conversations about natural law or the rights we have or what we don't have, uh, but to set a framework of how we go about these discussions to do it for the honor of God by honoring those he has permitted to be in authority over us, has put in authority over us. Let me just conclude then with this challenge at the end of Romans 13. In the context of all of this talk about government, Paul writes, Knowing the times, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. We, we might think he's going to tell us to wake out of sleep and do something about that pagan government. What does he say? He says, Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off. Oh, that, that sounds promising. Let us cast off the shackles of oppression. No, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. I think that's a very important addition to all that we've said so far. We are to honor the government, but we are to do it in a way that still exalts the light. We are to wear the armor of God. We are to shine forth in the darkness as lights to this world. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in the revelry and drunkenness. Not like our government, but to walk as those who are in the day of Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its 